You're listening to Faith in the Real World, presented by St. John's Lutheran Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I'm Graham Zima. This podcast, hosted by myself and Pastor Mark Tede, discusses topics and ideas surrounding faith in exactly as the title says, a real-world context. If you like what you hear, please like and subscribe to our YouTube page. And if you would like to know more information on St. John's and all the different things we do as a church, log on to stjohnsmpls.org to learn more. That's stjohnsmpls.org. With that, let's dive in, and thank you for listening. I'm Graham Zima. And I'm Pastor Mark Titi. And welcome to the second episode. We are here at St. John's Lutheran Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, the inspiration for this uh, episode really came from a conversation. I mean, really, the, this whole podcast in general came from a, a conversation that uh, Pastor Titi and I had about a week ago or so. Um, and one of the topics that I think really uh, resonated me uh, resonated with me when we were talking um, was this whole idea, and I find it especially relevant to my age group, that sort of millennial and Gen Z, um, you know, people that are in their 20s. I'm 24 at the time of this recording. Um, and, you know, a lot of my friends are obviously about the same age. And I think we've all encountered this question, especially in the last two years uh, during COVID. What is the purpose of life? And I know that sounds like a very broad question. And I think everybody has a different answer to that question. But I want to get your perspective on this, Pastor TD, and in, in this situation, addressing people of my age group who, you know, they're just out of college, they're, you know, especially with COVID, they're struggling to get work right now, they're struggling to get their feet in, you know, the, the career that they set out to, uh, to do, and they're just wondering, what is the point of all this? You know, one of the, this is, we all ask that question. What are we, whatever I'm going through now, is this the right thing? Is, this, is, is God doing something and bringing this moment into existence for a purpose? There are people who say that phrase. Everything happens for a reason. I think what they mean to say, now forgive me for being like I'm going to talk over the top of what their intent is, but if we really dice that, before I answer that question, if, we, if you take that question of everything happens for a reason, Really, that's a statement about fate, F-A-T-E, which is a Greek uh, myth. It's a Greek um, mythological thought process, right? It's part of the Greek, ancient Greek religions that there were these fates, and they would pull the strings, and you, there was no free will, and you the, whatever was happening was happening, and there's nothing you can do about it. I don't think that's what people are trying to say when they say everything happens for a reason. But then sometimes they do. And when people do believe that, they have forgotten that they themselves have free will. That God is active and working in the world. That you have free will. That there's an enemy in the world that sometimes seeks to seek us harm. That all of those things happening together just seem, they will create chaos. Now that's not at all resonating with everything happens for a reason. That's totally different. So then you bottle that all the way down to a 24-year-old person holding a microphone looking at a pastor kind of glossy-eyed going, where is he going with this? 
And it means exactly that where you're at, the question of does, what's, the, what's the meaning of life or what's the purpose of life, I would say that for a young person looking at what's laying right out in front of them, the conclusion of their educational process, whether that's a Votech training college for the, for the, for, for the um, trades or whether it's, you know, it's the end of your college career and you're looking at a possibility of grad school or not, do you take a, gra- a gap year or not? And you have all these enormous questions to ask and it gets overwhelming. The question I thought found helpful when I was in that moment myself was, what is God asking of me? Everything that I've gained up to this point, every relationship that I've had up to that point, every, friendship or otherwise, right? Every, everything that I've learned has gotten me to this point. Now what's it for? What is God asking of me to do with all the information that I've gathered? And what's the, what is my greatest passion that I've got in the world, right? So you think about all the information you've got in your head, all the passion you've got in your heart that starts to unravel in your mind a a reality of what kind of identity that you have that you now have the opportunity to, to live out. Then you look around the world around you and ask the question, what's the greatest need that I'm literally going to step in? What, what is the greatest need right here? And there was a theologian, Frederick Buechner, who said that, and this is a paraphrase, but he said that wherever the greatest, whatever your greatest passion intersects the world's greatest need, there is your calling. Now, people think callings, they think of pastors and nuns and priests, and they think of it being sort of a professional vocation, that that's the calling. I will tell you that the highest calling I've got is to be a husband and a dad. That's the highest calling I've got. And, I, and being a pastor is probably third on that list. But it's because it's the summation of everything I am, everything, everything I am, everything I have learned, coupled with my passions and the world's greatest need. And I need to be a husband. I need to be a father to now five kids because I've got two, two uh, daughter-in-law and a son-in-law that just joined the family the last couple of months. And to live my life in such a way that I can meet their needs And if they live their lives in such a way that they meet others' needs, then my needs are met. And inside of that, we find joy, a sense of being fulfilled, meaning, focus, which might just be a new word for purpose. It's in community that we find all of those things. And one of the ways the church has really failed over the many, many decades is that it has de-emphasized how important it is to be an actual member of a church. Because when you are a member of a church, you've heard this saying in the first episode, is that you're a member of the family with all of its zits and flaws. But that way, when you're a member of that church, you've got a community that is beholden to you and you to it. And that you belong there. That you should, Because you have a voice, now you need to speak. Because you've got a place, now you need to be. And so all of that is, is so important to understanding that A, I belong, and B, I've got something to offer. That, um, somebody went through, uh, what's that, cross-training? They went through, the, the, um, I forget what it's called, but some specific, like PX90 or something. Oh, uh, CrossFit? 
CrossFit, that was it. Yeah, they went yeah, through CrossFit and they went through this thing and they were just absolutely exhausted. And he said to me, when I'm done with those workouts, I, I just feel like a million dollars. That's what God made this body for. Right. To be worked out. Correct. And that's what God made the body of Christ for. To be worked out and exhausted, meeting the needs of the world around it. It's why God has created a community for faith, so that faith itself can be worked out, explored, and argued with, and, and chewed on, and... I love that word, explored. I'll say it again. Explored. Yeah. That's really something... That's actually a really interesting point, going back to the, the CrossFit example that you just used, because I find that in my own life, where the days that I am just going, you know, nonstop, I'm... I'm going from this project to this project and, and you know, my, my creative brain is being activated. And by the end of the day, you know, it hits eight or 9 PM. I'm just wiped. I have found, especially recently, the more mindful I've become of that experience, just this inner sense of just well being. And you would think that by the end of it, you'd be exhausted and just in, and almost sad or just like beat down. But actually I find it to be the opposite. And maybe this is just me. I'm sure everybody has a different experience, but I just find Yes, I'm tired. Yes, I've been, you know, worked the whole day. And yet I feel this really big sense of just peace. Right. And I try to meditate on that as much as I possibly can because I find that, I guess, the the, the idea of fulfillment then comes into play. Of, I just feel like because I'm activating that, what God is calling me to activate those creative muscles on a daily basis. When I do that, I feel like I have accomplished something. And um, and, and, and that fulfillment starts to come in. So I think that's just a really interesting thing that, that you brought up. Um, I, I did want to ask you a question about something that, that came up in conversation. We were talking about purpose of life. You had mentioned that there was a time in your life before you really committed to being a pastor that you were trying to run away oh, yeah. from that calling. Absolutely. Talk me through that experience. Like what eventually, when did that come to a head where you decided to make that, take that path? Man, okay, so I had a um, very unique um, mystical experience that where I first heard this um, within myself there's, that, you're, that I was going to be a pastor, right? That, mm -hmm. that God was claiming to be a pastor, and I just didn't want to do it. Um, I was going through a um, high school rebellion against family identity, da, 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 da. And I just, you know, my, I've got really bright sister and brother, mom and dad, grandmas and grandpas on both sides. And everything that they did was, it seemed like it was perfect and good. And I just couldn't do anything right. I mean, I didn't get the grades they got. I didn't, you know, so I was like, screw it. I'm done. I'm out. I'm not doing nothing. If my family goes to church, I'm not going to church. If they, if they go play football, I'm not going to do that. And I just, mm -mm. even though I, in my head, I had this roaring rebellion going, I still played the same sports my brother played and my sister did. I sang in the choirs like they did and I played in the band like they did. But I wanted to be my own person, right? But this inner sense of calling, I just did not want to do. I, I, no, I didn't feel like I had a choice. And I wanted my will. I wanted to choose. So no, I stopped going to church. I didn't want to do anything with the church whatsoever, except that we had an organist that could blow the dust out of the organ and play anything. It was amazing. He could even have it made it on Good Fridays. He would do these low bass things. It sounded like an earthquake. It was just fantastic. 
So that was the one thing that sort of kept me in the church. And then when I got to college, I declared myself as a wannabe atheist. Um, and then I, no, I just can't do that. I, there is something out there. That, and I, now you're in those college debates and whatever and went all the way through college. And then I took a class my senior year with uh, Dr. Robert Jensen and Lutheranism. And I realized, holy schmoly, this is amazing. And he outlined the difference between what is the gospel of God and what is the law of God and their functions. And we discussed that in the Lutheran perspective. And it just woke me back up to not only am I a, a believer in a God, I'm a believer in the Christian God. And I believe that the flavor of ice cream I'm going to drink forever is Lutheranism. So I've, I came back to faith sort of in this weird serendipitous way. And then I was asked by him, so what do you want to do with this? And I ended up being a religion major. My sophomore year in college, I declared my major 16 times officially. And until the, the registrar saw me come and I was coming with my paperwork, he says, nope, not until you're Doug Skirman's. He's got to sign off on it. I'm not signing that thing. So I had to go sit with my, my academic advisor. And he said, well, I see, and I, it was this existential question. What am I supposed to do with my life? And he says, well, give me your transcript. What are your grades? And I said, no, I don't want to give you my transcript. Because I was not, I was a C student with everything else, but I was a B plus, A minus student without really putting any work into it for my religion classes. And he said, oh, you're a religion major. Bam. And I said, well, what, what, what can I do with a religion major? And he goes, you could be a pastor. I said, I don't want to be a pastor. He goes, you'd be a great pastor. And I burst into tears right there in his office. Well, now I don't know what to do. I mean, I hear it, here it is again. It was inside me. You're going to be a pastor. You're going to be a pastor. Now it's an outside thing. You're going to be a pastor. You'd be great. I don't, I don't want to go. Well, what do you do with this? Well, you go to a seminary. Well, what? Could I be? Could I go teach? In, in, like at a, in, yeah, you could do that. Then you go get your PhD out at, in the East Coast, you know, Divinity School. Oh, that's what I'm going to do. Oh, I didn't have the grades to do that. So another professor said to me, "Go to seminary for a year or two, take everything for grade, and then transfer out to a Divinity School and finish it up there." And I thought, "Ah, that is a great idea. Go to there, get a go to Luther Seminary in St. Paul. Academic advisor was Dr. Gerhard Ferdy, and he says." Uh, you're going to be a wonderful pastor um, and you're going to love internship. And I said, no, 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 you don't understand. You're going to help me avoid that. I don't want to do an internship. I want to get to a divinity school as soon as I can. And I, I literally slid a piece of paper across the table. It said, Mark A. T.D., Bachelor of Arts, Master of Theology, um, uh, PhD by age 34. I said, I need you to help me figure that out. And he looked up at me and he said, Why? Why do you want to do that? And I didn't have an answer. And he said, you'll figure that out on your internship. You're going to be a fantastic pastor. I was so mad. I couldn't, I could just, oh. So I, I, I couldn't get out of this track. I was now stuck. I'm going to head to an internship, which is the third year of, of graduate school. And on internship, I fell in love with being a pastor. And I was mad about it. <laughs> because everybody said, told me I was going to. And I did. And I do love being a pastor. And I love being a pastor because of the people I have learned from are so unbelievably wise. And I learned that God works through these people so beautifully to teach us different lessons as we go through. And that the, the church is not a federation of individuals who just happen to be in the same room, but we are bound together through the Holy Spirit, to become the body of Christ there, in that moment. 
And the wisdom that is shared is just remarkable. And we are able to do things, say things, accomplish things that alone we could never, ever do. But it also takes everything, even if it's a, a, um, a non-religious, non-church-affiliated cause, we can still come at that issue through a faith lens mm-hmm. that really is profoundly powerful. I mean, think of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Whole civil rights deal he did from the foundation of his theological framework as a parish pastor. And that civil rights mattered to the people that he was serving and the people he came from. And so the, it, it wasn't just the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., it's the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., whose who, 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 who speeches are sermons and they inspire faith in anybody who hears them. They're just amazing speeches um, and, and sermons. And so it's, it's from that perspective. So I fall in love with being a parish pastor, and I come back to seminary. I marry my wife. We go up to them. We serve in a four-point parish in northwest Minnesota, and we loved it. We absolutely loved it. We knew that there were things that we could teach them, but, man, did we have a just amazing moment of realizing how much we needed to learn about being a pastor and one of the, his name was Bud Reed, and Bud put his arm around me one day, and I think he knew somehow that we were thinking about moving on to a different church and following a different call, and he put his arm around me, and he said, you pastors are such a convenience. <laughs> Love that moment. And then he did that whole Norwegian thing where he was holding me to the side, and we were both fixed on the horizon because if we looked at each other, we'd cry, and that you don't do that, right? Mm-hmm. And he said, I am so proud of you and Connie, mainly Connie, but you and Connie. And we're getting to a point now, I think, where we've learned everything we can learn from you because I think we've already taught you everything that we can teach you. We know that our gift to the whole church is raising up pastors to be good pastors. And I'm proud of what we've done, and I'm proud of you. And that's when I really realized the depth of everything that we've been going through was that moment, and then it will be subsequent moments when I'm serving other congregations. And then I'm, and it's not just for pastors. It's for everyone that's been baptized. The experience that you have in a church and in your life, you bring into that congregation. And that's the wisdom that you bring. And you teach people around you. You get to know them, and we learn things, and we share information and experiences, and we all get a little wiser. And then if you leave that congregation, go to a new congregation, you're bringing the, the, that experience from the first congregation to the next one, and it brings it and gets it wiser and smarter, able to react more faithfully, more quickly, sooner. And that, I think, is something that's, it has become very important to me as I live out my sense of call in the world, which is always changing. But it's been really an amazing ride thus far. Long way to go, but it's been really fun. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting, too. I mean, going back to uh, when you were in college, because I always think about that, too. Like, the idea that at 18, 19 years old, you kind of have to have everything figured out. And Exactly. I've yeah. seen so many people. I mean, I went through it as well, more so within my specific major. I didn't know what aspect of uh, filmmaking I wanted to do, or even if I wanted to be a filmmaker, I, I kind of was going back and forth and I tried everything and eventually settled on what I'm doing now, but that took a long road. And, and I, I had many times where I would question, like, what am I doing here? Why didn't I just go do this ma- you know, business major, something a little bit more stable, a little bit more of a straight and narrow path. But 
Um, I found that with a lot of people that I knew that, you know, changed their majors two or three times. And, and, you know, I think it's an interesting expectation. I don't know if you can elaborate on this, just specifically within our culture that, yeah, by 18 years old, you kind of have to have one thing that you're set on. Right. And you need to maintain that in order to get to the good life, whatever that means. I'm a big believer in the liberal, liberal arts colleges for exactly that reason. You show up at Gustavus or St. Olaf and Concordia College, they kind of encourage you to not have your mind made up because at 18 years old, when you graduate high school, how many of you have experienced poli-sci? <laughs> Maybe one class at best? At best, right? I mean, yeah. I had none of that. I didn't have any... I didn't have any experience with world religions. I didn't have any experience really with theater. I didn't have any, you know, there was so much I hadn't even thought of in terms of a possible career path. And so at those liberal arts colleges, they want you to absolutely come with a blank slate, experience what you can experience, and I would put it in religious language. Now you can, when you get in there, you'll kind of figure out what it is that you got a leaning toward. And then you ask the question, this beautiful epistemological question of, is God calling me there? Is this an uncovered passion that I never would have experienced before? And I'm interested in that. You know, and so you, then you start going down that road of asking the question of, rather than what am I supposed to do? Who am I supposed to be? The question is, what is God asking of me? What is, is this a, a calling from God? Because you can ask him. <laughs> mm -hmm. And maybe he'll answer. Because if, and well, I believe God will answer. But when I ask the question of, God, where are you? You know, what or the bigger question we started with of what's the purpose of this? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a bigger question. But because you've just experienced that, now what are you going to do with that kind of experience moving forward? If it's a scar, you can still use it. It's, it can be something that can empower you to the future, even if you're grieving it and sorrow from and wounded from it. If it's a blessing, you can certainly use that, right? I mean, it's those things you tap into a previous joy, it fuels you for the next future. If you pack, mm -hmm. if you tap into a, a previous moment of the passion of the negative passion, right? Like the passion of Christ when he's crucified. If if you're if you've gone through that and you can tap into that and use it for positive purposes or a positive response to God's call in the world, well, then you're able to use that moment not for how it was intended, but for your intended purpose as you try to follow the calling of God. I believe firmly that, you know, God, um, Jesus says, I think it's in the Gospel of John 10, I've called that you, I have, um, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Now, that is said again, into a community that all y'all will have a, an abundant life together. Not that I can suddenly go and be, you know, Jeff Bezos and ignore the world's problems or even the United States problems. But it's not that he does that, but that would be probably what I would do if that I had that much money. <laughs> we are called into community that together we can have a life that is truly life. Truly. And we are called to be in a matter of meeting the needs of the others. And you've heard this analogy before. I'll share it now with our, in the podcast here. But 
supposedly I'd heard once upon a time that they had they had taken three Americans and they put them in a room and they put um, splints on their elbows and long-handled spoons in their hands and put a plate of food in the middle of this ginormous table. And the Americans each grabbed the spoons and they tried to lift it up and plop it in their mouths. They couldn't figure it out. And then they put three Africans, same situation, they immediately knew to pick up the spoon and feed the person on the left and the person on their right, and they were all fed. If that's a true story... It's an indictment against first world North Americans who do not understand that to meet my own needs, I really need to meet yours. If I meet your needs and then now you work to meet mine, then none of us are for the worse. We're in fact better off because we've built relationship and that relationship has built trust in the meeting of the needs of the other. And where I really, really kind of want to go off rails on is when people won't take the vaccine because they will protect themselves and they say the vaccines don't work. And they're going to do it for them and mine and mine and mine own. And then if you press them on it, they'll kind of come back to, well, am I my brother's keeper? I can't do it. The answer to that is, yes, you are. Scriptures declare that from the early parts of the book of Genesis. We are our brother's keeper. We are our sister's keeper. We are in this life together, and we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And that does not mean, the way that we've modernly interpreted it, that we got to just totally love myself first and then meet that love to expression of the other. No, it's the other way around. It is become a part of a community so much so that when you do ask the question, this existential question of who am I, you've got a bunch of people around you that love you, and they'll tell you. We know who you are, Graham, because you do this, this, and this. We know who you are because you love this, this, and this. They will tell you who you are because they know, and, and you'll know that they're right because you love them. Mm-hmm. This is what we've forgotten in the world. So now we think that we've, poli- we've politicized a virus. How in the world is that good? That is not good, and it's sad to me. What we need to realize and come back down to earth and realize that the way that this whole country of ours has handled this whole pandemic is wrong. We're not about being right. This is about how do we live in this world being kind to one another? How do, and I'm taking this vaccine. I've got a very good friend. I was just on a, on a tech study via Zoom with her. Her congregation's not meeting right now because she's immunocompromised and cannot receive the vaccine. Mm-hmm. The whole world needs to get vaccinated for her so that she's protected by us from getting the COVID COVID virus. It's about loving the neighbor in such a way that that it's about their needs. If they need me to get the vaccine, I'm going to get the vaccine. It's just simply that. And as we live into that relationship and we live into that kind of thing, like we do with those we already do love, Therein we find those moments where we can answer God's call to serve another person. In doing so, we find that this is a beautiful way that we're fulfilling our own needs, talents, and passions, and we find our purpose. It's revealed to us through the care of the other. And that is a, it's just a really fun thing to watch that happen and, and to watch people explore that and their, the light bulb go on. Mm-hmm that through the acting out in love for the other, they realize who they are and that they are claimed by the one who created them. Yeah. That's gorgeous. That's great. 
Well, I think that's a beautiful wrap-up. It tied back around to the original question, so I think that that's wonderful. Um, yeah, we are running into about 30 minutes here, so I will wrap this up. Check us out, stjohnsmpls.org for all news and information. Also, follow us on Facebook. Um, thank you, Pastor Mark, as always. Yeah, wonderful conversation. You. And uh, until next time, uh, thank you for listening. <laughs>